0: Music the podcast. Hello, Kitty. Is this that Freya? Is Freya? This is Freya. This is beautiful. my familiar. Beautiful. Yeah, there's so much I want to connect with you about. Um because it's just exciting first of all to like find other queer and neurodivergent witches and, and magical people and um also you are a third degree Gardnerian high priest priestess and mm-hmm. that's super cool so I would love to hear how you got into witchcraft and specifically Gardnerian witchcraft I guess to start with <laughs> but then also like um yeah, I guess Freya, does that mean that there's a, or is there a specific um, deity that you work with closely, or what, how would you kind of describe your practice? So I kind of have layers to my
1: practice um, with my, like, almost like a jawbreaker, to say, with, like, my spirit at the core of that and then there's layers of the different practices that I have participated in what makes up my personal practice versus what makes up like coven practice Uh, I actually started uh, with witchcraft when I was 14 15 years old Um, after having grown up my entire life having a lot of very I mean to put it Easily uh, scary and creepy experiences, a lot of stuff that couldn't be explained. Um, some of my earliest memories are of me being in a playpen and being visited by family members coming to, you know, play with me, say hello, and then finding out later on um, that those family members had long since passed um one in particular when it was my fourth birthday it was four it was my fourth birthday i just turned four years old i was to give some perspective the house we were living in was separated so there was a front room that was like a living room and then there was like a dining room and like a kitchen area that were like completely separated And myself and all my family were in like the kitchen area, uh, you know, with the cake and the balloons and everything like that. And all of a sudden I heard my name called and I was like, oh, okay. From the living room that was in the front of the house. So I went to the front of the house and my grandfather was there and he was sitting in uh, my dad's lazy boy chair. And he reached out his arms to me and said, come here, give me a big old hug. Oh my goodness. Happy birthday. And I just it's a visceral memory for me of just slamming into his arms, being squeezed up in this big old bear hug. I'll never forget the way that he smelled. It was a full memory experience for me. And all the way through my entire adulthood, um, that like, I have this memory of meeting my grandfather, especially on my birthday, come to find out it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I told my mother that story. She got ghostly pale. And she said, honey, he passed away when you were barely a couple of months old. So I had a lot of experiences with my like family ancestors, but then I had a lot of very terrifying experiences that I won't really go into detail because I don't want to trigger anyone or upset anyone, but suffice to say like my necessity for getting into witchcraft, especially like energy working and barriers uh, and Banishments and exorcisms, I put that in air quotations for a reason, um, was out of necessity. And because I had to find a means of protecting myself and protecting my family, because the things that I had experienced, especially a specific situation when I was 13, um, was such a catalyst in my life that if it weren't for, especially like, concepts of like manifestation because I started with concepts of manifestation before I even found like Wicca and witchcraft if it weren't for concepts of manifestation I very likely would not be here uh, as we speak so it was out of necessity and then when I was 14 15 years old a friend of mine in high school who was uh I don't want to say that she was Wiccan or witchcraft like into witchcraft for the aesthetic but it was very much a phase in her life and so she's the one that introduced me originally to witchcraft and Wicca outside of movies and let me borrow a book and I still have it to this day she never wanted it back or she did I'm (laughs) I still have it uh lent me this book and it like the stars aligned and all of the pieces fell into place. And I said, this is it. This is this is the journey that I need to take. And from there, I um, started a path of eclectic solitary practice. Uh, I was reading every piece of information I could get. I was reading every book I could get. I'd read everything in the Barnes and Noble section. I I'd, I'd read everything in the library. I was very much an avid reader because I always had been. And so I started on this journey. I started celebrating uh, the Wheel of the Year, which are the eight Sabbaths practiced by Wiccans. Uh, And I started helping out my friends with like meditations. I started writing meditations and everything like that. And I was on a solitary practice until I was about 20 years old. And my sister took me to a local metaphysical store down in Florida where I was born and raised. And uh, which unfortunately the store did close, which I felt so sad about because the woman who owned it was such a sweetheart and took me to this store. And it was just your general like metaphysical store. They had, you know, your herbs, your crystals, your necklaces, your, your paraphernalia, your doodads and trinkets and whatnot. And the gentleman that was uh, working the counter that day, he overheard me having a conversation with my sister about, uh, because my sister was asking me all of these questions, what's this for, what's this stone for, and I was answering. Because at that point, I'd been a couple of years of, like, in my own self-practice, so I was confident in a lot of the information I had, and he overheard, and he said oh are you you're into this stuff and i was like oh yeah no absolutely this is my life and he said well we have a wicca 101 every friday today is friday we have one tonight if you're interested i looked at my sister and she looked at me and i was like yeah i know that'd be really really interesting because what was very serendipitous at that point is maybe about a month or so prior i had done some spell work to open up my energies to receiving a teacher I felt like I'd hit a brick wall. I felt like I had met as much of what I was going to gain out of solitary practice at that point in my life. And I felt kind of lost. I was like, okay, I think I I opened up as like to the universe, uh, to my guides, to my deities. I think I'm ready for a teacher. uh, However, they're meant to come into my life. Um, I, I welcome it. And so I looked at my sister in that moment and I was like, can we? And she's like, yeah, of course we can. So we left, had something to eat. I think we went to Walmart. (laughs) And then we came back that evening for a Wicca 101 that was led by this elderly woman who then announced herself as a third degree Garnerian, had been practicing for Many a decade, who was leading this Wicca 101, and there was a bunch of people. We were all sitting sitting in a circle, and everything like that. And by that time, I think it started at 7 p.m. We were about 7:10, 7, 7:15, 7, in the midst of conversation. I'm really excited. My energy is activated. Um, I'm really. I'm like, okay, yeah, no, this is awesome. This is great. And then the door opens, and time slowed to a stop and in walks this woman and then another woman behind her and I'm not going to say their names out of just courtesy for her but everything in my being shouted I know this woman I know her I've never met her in my life, but I know this woman and I know her intimately and I need to know her. And it was around Halloween. It was right before Halloween. So she had this cute, adorable little witch hat on and she tattoos and jewelry and just vivacious. Like this woman ate the room and ate it well. (laughs) (laughs) She came in. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm late. Uh, Um, you know, traffic, this, that, and the other. And, um, she comes and she sits down and before i realized i was speaking i was like i'm so sorry and everybody turns and looks at me and i'm like mortified but i was like i am so sorry i never met you in my life but i know you like i know you and our eyes locked and there was just that just instant connection so we get on with the rest of the Wicca 101. It was great. I don't even remember what we talked about, um, but I remember just feeling so overjoyed and so excited. And I went to that woman after the the Wicca 101. And I said, cause she had introduced herself as a third degree gardener and that she runs a coven um, and that and was just introducing herself. And I said, after the Wicca 101, <laughs> I don't know how this is going to happen. I know Freya, that's what I said. (laughs) Um, I said, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how we're going to make this work. I don't have a car. I'm about to like in a couple of months, I'm going to turn 21, but however I can make this happen, if you're open to students, um, I would love to participate. I feel like, like I feel like this is a calling and I'd love to you know interact with you more and we ended up having this whole conversation it's at that point where she even offered she's like well I'll tell you what let's meet up so you can meet my working partner my high priest and if you know if we're all feeling it if we're the vibes are all there then we'll see where this goes it's like absolutely fantastic so They end up inviting me to um, the sowing gather at the local Cups, uh, which is the Unitarian church uh, that was located in Fort Lauderdale, for their public sowing event. I was like, okay, cool. I dressed up, everything like that. We went <laughs> and they showed up a little bit late. What was really funny is while I was there, I ended up meeting quite a few other Gardnerians that I had no idea they were Gardnerians until after the fact. Oh, cool. uh, they showed up a little bit late. They had left a family party. So they had very much been already enjoying their evening, which was hysterical. And I meet up with her and I meet up with her high priest and which is her husband And he looks at me, shitting and grin and throws an arm around me and pulls me into a hug. He says, hey, sweetheart, or something like that. Um, And then we went to the public circle that because they have like a public circle. And um, I'm not going to be a mean girl about it. But what I will absolutely acknowledge is we kind of kikied about some of the way that they ran their circle uh as a means of like camaraderie and he looked at me and then looked at the woman who became my high priestess and said okay when are we inviting them over when are they coming over which was to say okay um this is it let's go let's do this thing and it was pretty much history from there uh i dedicated into their outer court studied and worked my ass off had the universe show me a lot of signs, uh, had a lot of truths revealed to me, got called out for a lot of the things that I needed to be called out for. And then after a couple of months, uh, I got offered initiation and then moved through the the degrees. And uh, yeah, I started running my own coven a couple of years back. And then a little over a year ago, I moved up to, to PA Uh, to kind of have a little bit of a fresh start um, as a means of truly it's very much an escape from Florida since Florida is such a dangerous place for trans non-binary LGBTQ persons in general Uh, and I fell in love with this area up here so yeah that's pretty much all she wrote. Um, I know you had asked about personal deities. Um, In my own personal practice I do work with the Morrigan or the Morrigan, or however people like to pronounce. And I also work with another deity called Aron, who is a Welsh god of the other world. Uh, So those are pretty much the two that I work with uh, consecutively um, and often.
0: Amazing, thank you for sharing all of that. And Pennsylvania is very happy to have you, I'm sure. Um, And so at that time that you were meeting your high priestess, was that something that you were already were you already kind of aware of your, like maybe journey of gender at that point? And were you kind of dealing with issues of gender or is that something that kind of came along later? Cause I saw somewhere you were talking about like gendered energies, which is also a very interesting question to me that I think about a lot. So I wonder kind of where that part of that came up for you in that journey. So looking back, I had always had
1: like a subconscious like aversion to overly gendered things, it never made sense to me. It was always very confusing for me. And even in like early, my early high school career, I knew I knew I was pansexual very early on, um, because for me personally in my own like life experience gender never made sense to me I hated gender roles I hated societal gender roles for me personally and just like how it goes into sexism and then the undercoat of uh, the undertones of racism and colonialism when it comes to forced gender bias and everything like that it it always bothered me I never liked it I had never come in contact with other persons who either had the same ideas or um, felt the same way. So I didn't really know that, I didn't even know technically that non-binary persons existed. I knew about trans people and I didn't consider myself trans at the time. A lot of it came from Being very heavily like in the closet with those kinds of thoughts because it's not that my family was very conservative, um, not at all by any means, but I um had also when I was younger, I spent a lot of time in the Greek Orthodox Church, uh especially in the choir, because I love singing. I'm a performer, it's something that I've always loved, I've always connected with. And through a lot of those experiences, I kind of tamped down a lot of those questions and didn't even want to address them because it meant having to acknowledge um, a lot of things I wasn't ready to acknowledge, but like there was always a subconscious undertone of aversion to um, concepts of binary gender. And so when I met my high priestess for the first time, it wasn't really even there, but even so um, like, my high priestess opened my eyes to a lot of different kinds of relational exploration uh and that not everything is as it appears to be and then uh through the pandemic (laughs) when we all had to be home alone with ourselves uh I started to realize a lot of things about myself and even a little bit before the pandemic actually hit um I had a lot of things come up through my algorithm, especially on TikTok, but also through social media that made me question a lot of things about myself. And then I started doing research. And then I started actually like listening to the voices of other non-binary persons expressing their experiences. And I was like, wow it slammed home for me, how much I aligned with it. And then when a lot of those realizations came to light, it started to make sense the way that I practice spiritually because in the Gardnerian tradition specifically, it's very binary. It's very dualistic because for the most part, it's like a God and goddess. And then you have a high priestess and a high priest, which is, there's been a lot of controversy in the Gardnerian community as a whole, especially in the greater, like, traditionalist Wicca communities and British traditional witchcraft when it comes to gender roles and things like that, a lot of which, some of which I got flack for myself personally and almost left the community uh, as a result of it, but um, we make our way through, and so I started applying a lot of my personal experiences to how I practice in the tradition, not changing it, but applying it to me and that helped a lot but it wasn't until I want to say late 2018 early 2019 was when I started to really have those light bulb moments of wait a minute this isn't me and this doesn't apply to me and then I started doing a lot of shadow work as well as a lot of like journaling an expressive mem- expressive memory contact mm-hmm. to like activate a lot of my memories and to like really look back at my life and I started to think okay so I've never felt like a woman and that's okay okay so I've never felt like a woman I don't feel like a man I don't align with either of those things okay and then it started to really make sense from there
0: yeah yeah, I didn't quite realize I had an earlier kind of bout with like and Wicca when I was younger and got kind of into the books and ended up going in a different direction. I did not realize it was that binary, but I know that there's um, in like hermeticism, one of the hermetic principles has to do with gendered energies. And so that always comes up and there's like a whole conversation on TikTok's spiritual spaces about it and like how you know there's like a dual energy in all of us and how that but but it's always interesting like i have a friend who tries to who's tried to maybe even relabel those things as like not masculine and feminine and i don't even know where i sit with all of that but um it's interesting how like essentially baked in gender has seemed to be to a lot of these traditions for a while when i feel the same way like i don't i don't quite think that's um I don't really identify with gender either, like, (laughs) yeah, really what's, yeah, go ahead, sorry, no, you're totally
1: fine, what's really interesting, especially that you bring up hermetics, I recently, I've actually now technically read it, like, two and a half times, Um, but I've been very much in a mode of um, consuming content, either by, or specifically for gender non-conforming practitioners,
0: Oh, okay.
1: So uh, I have like I have a whole list. Um one that I just finished and I just finished annotating. Actually, it's called, oh goodness, what's I'm gonna turn my chair around just so I can look at yeah, the table Please
0: it. give me Rex. I want to know what to read. Yeah, that's this great. one it's called Bending the Binary, written I by have yes, yeah. so it's,
1: it's written by Deborah Lip, uh, whom I've met. I've uh, yes, I love that's so cool. Well, Deborah Lip is also a Gardnerian. Okay. So it's, it's, it's a, it seems vast, like a big community to us, but it's really not actually a very big community when you think about it in context of like the greater like practitioner communities. And so, uh, I, I wanted to read her book from the moment that she had put out about it. I read her book. I read it with a grain of salt because, um, she writes beautifully, she does, but she also does write from the perspective of a cis woman. And so a, that's And always a something white woman,
0: woman too, is that right? Um, I do believe
1: that she's Jewish. Okay. But um, there, yes, I have my own qualms and stuff, but those are just my opinions with the book. But what she does go into, she talks about specifically different aspects of occultist practice in relation to gender binary. And she brings up a lot of really good points, especially when it comes to hermetics and the fact that the original hermetics, like I'm definitely read through the book when you have an opportunity, but she goes into the differences between like original hermetics and this paper that was published anonymously in the, like the 1910s, 1920s and how this paper that has no actual proof that it was written by, I, I wanna say it might be a grandpa, but either way, there's no actual factual proof that it was written by any of the like, original like hermeticists. Mm-hmm. It lo- lines out these principles that explicitly it's, it state One of the last ones is about gender and then she goes into talking about how um a lot of modern occultists use those principles from that article versus the original principles and okay. how a lot of people yeah and how a lot of people get it mixed up and and like They don't look at like the core of the values of where those things come from. Uh, So I thought that was extremely interesting and it makes sense, you know, because at the end of the day, we're playing a really, really long game of telephone, uh, especially with, um, you know, traditions that are passed down orally that we don't have like the historical context to go to that person 300 years ago and say, you wrote this in your book. Did you mean X, right? So, um, I thought that was super interesting. And then in another book that I was reading, oh goodness. Uh, it is in my bag. (laughs) My ADHD brain is going a million miles a minute. So like it's going through all of the titles of all of these different books. Um, (laughs) but I was reading another book that, and I'm going to look it up so that I can actually like shout out this author because I also wrote a review about their book uh, where they pointed out specifically uh, the title, The White Goddess, right? So The White Goddess came out in the early 1900s and it points out that The White Goddess and the author of The White Goddess is where we get the theory of the maiden mother crone concepts but there's no actual historical proof or evidence to state concretely that most of the goddesses that are celebrated today actually have maiden mother crone faces to them a really really big one um, that pops out for me is is Hecate or Hecate or however uh, her name is pronounced there's no actual historical proof or context that Hecate has a maiden mother crone she has many faces which is true but she doesn't actually have a maiden mother crone other than the context of modern neo-paganism so Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot of those like the intricacies of like fact checking if you will when it comes to historical reference uh and a lot of the the queer books that I've been reading um you know to really boost my knowledge as a practitioner, but also because of the fact that I'm a teacher as well, um, you know, decolonizing my craft is a huge part of that. And a part of decolonizing the craft is addressing the gender bias, is addressing over-genderizing things, the fact that everything in, the circle, in a circle or a sacred space has a gender. And it's not that that's a bad thing, but we should be asking why. Where do those things come from? Why is it relevant, Right. So it's a huge thing for me, especially in regards to the gender essentialism and practice in general, in my tradition, the Garnerian tradition, talking about gender essentialism is so, so crucial. Um, You know, because transphobes be everywhere just because they're love and light kind of people doesn't mean that they're, you know, they should always be trusted in a sacred space.
0: Very good point. And that's, I'm glad that you brought up decolonization too, because obviously all the gender question plays into that. And then like everything plays into that, of course, like questions of disability, neurodivergence. Um, but what are some other ways that maybe decolonization kind of plays into what you think about and like how do you take that and what what kind of practical steps maybe might you suggest somebody would take if they're setting up a coven or how does that look in, in practice as you go about your kind of community building and, and uh, covening?
1: <laughs> that is such a great question. So something that's big for me personally, personally, as a white person, right, um, first and foremost, it's acknowledging my privilege, because my privilege is always going to have a seat at the table, whether I want it to or not. So ensuring that I'm acknowledging my privilege is first and foremost, and checking my own privilege, because something that I've learned time and time again, it's, it's nobody else's job to educate me unless I'm, unless it's like a professor and I'm paying for a class. It's nobody else's job to educate me. It's my job to educate me. Right. Yeah. The other thing for me personally is accepting that if a practice that I have done or a practice I participate in is harmful or has been harmful, acknowledging that and ensuring that i'm responding in a way that is acknowledging the hurt and pain of other people right i think s- the the easiest one to bring off the top of my head is sage white sage specifically mm-hmm. it's about education right it's about listening to the voices of the people who are talking about you know where white sage comes from like the the significance of it the spirit of it you know a lot of that a lot of that plays into um how I've been deconstructing my practice, right? Um so I built this sandwich over now almost 17 years. I've built this really, really, really tall sandwich. I got so excited at the buffet. I wanted to stack this sandwich so high. And then I go sit down at the table and I realize I have all of this stuff in my sandwich that isn't good for me um I don't like the taste of or it's too much right so a lot of what I've been doing especially over the past year has been deconstructing my practice uh as well as the knowledge and the information that I have um and also getting over the fear of potentially ending up with two slices of bread instead Mm -hmm. of a, a nice sandwich right um at the end of the day um I accept that there may be days where my practice looks so mundane and that's okay. You know, the flamboyant, constant need, the drive to achieve higher and higher modes of spiritual activation for me is almost along the same lines of certain types of addiction because that's something else as a person who participates in a coven-based tradition as well um and all of the different events that I go to and all of the different events I plan on going to um I spent a lot of time in my early years especially uh in Gardnerian encountering people who were chasing after the high of magical interaction you know um, when it came to like participating in a circle, doing these big, huge, extravagant rituals, all to connect to the gods. And it got to a point where it reminded me so much of addiction that it started triggering me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to sit back and sit with myself and go and, and ask the quote, the hard questions like, is this really what I want for my practice? Is this really what I need for my practice? Do the gods really connect with me in this way or am I just fluffing up the things that I'm participating in? So to get back to your question, I'm so sorry, I go on tangents a lot. Um, the, the, I think one of the last things that's important uh, for ensuring a uh, safe community space is inclusivity. And what inclusivity really looks like. Inclusivity is not just of you know BIPOC practitioners. Um, it's also ensuring that I'm doing my best to include disabled people, neurodivergent people, people who are you know people who are deaf, hard of hearing, visually impaired, and even if I'm not set up to assist someone in that way when it came to magical practices being ready to ask the questions and to educate myself to be able to provide those kinds of spaces I think is really important. Like something that is uh, very big for me, especially um, throughout my life from when I was very, very young is learning sign language um, as a means to uh, communicate. I don't currently know sign language, but it is my intention to learn it um, so that I can ensure if I have someone come to me that I can make sure that I'm communicating with them, not just on a cultural level, but on a spiritual level as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, creating a, that truly safe and inclusive uh, sacred space for everyone, especially for uh, gender non-conforming, trans non-binary people who have had this idea of, uh, divine masculine and divine feminine shove down their throats in a way that they feel like they have to choose um to force themselves to identify in a way that they don't just so that they connect they can connect to a deity when the reality of the situation is deity spirit entity uh even the people who have passed on they're no longer human they are not human so We shouldn't really feel like we have to force ourselves into a set standard of practice when at the end of the day, the gods are going to listen to us. They're going to connect to us in however shape or form is means of connection because they're not human.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So interesting. And I think, uh, I love that you were talking about that fear of, uh, or almost like it's an addiction of trying to kind of Or like making it a part of your identity that you're kind of always like seeking the next higher level of enlightenment or whatever, which ascension is another term for it. Ascension, which like goes back to kind of goes back to like colonization, right? Because it's just like um it's like feeling this need to be like constantly productive, or even and then I think also maybe like that identity of I think about this with like bohemianism a lot, um where people you identify with the other. And so you're looking for, maybe will be like ways to identify with the other. And I think, um, I also have had to navigate that in my life where I'm like, you know, in some ways I'm very other, I don't identify, uh, with a lot of, uh, normative things, but I also, in some ways I'm obviously very privileged. I am obviously white Um, And so there's places where it becomes really tempting to like dip into these (laughs) and like take from other kinds of otherness and just sit in that and enjoy it and use it as an aesthetic. And so that's an interesting thing to navigate um, and something that I think is really important to keep top of mind. Um, So very, very cool that you bring that up. Aquarian Music Witch, the podcast is made possible by listeners like you. To support this project, you can contribute directly through our Ko-fi page at ko-fi.com slash or consider subscribing to our supercast page with the amw supercast content access pass you'll gain access to a vault of exclusive content and other cosmic perks starting at just five dollars a month now back to the show I also had talked, I guess, I don't remember exactly where maybe in your bio, or I've kind of been like aware of you on Facebook for a while, if I'm being honest, Um, just we kind of frequent some of the same groups. But Mm -hmm. uh, so you've talked somewhere about like sound healing, psychic abilities, energy healing. And I was also interested to talk to you about that, because that's kind of where my practice is mostly is all thinking about like energy work, music, ritual, And sound healing and so I'm curious about your experiences with that your successes with that um, and kind of your relationship to your your musical magic maybe.
1: I love this question um or topic rather um music, especially wavelength in general, has always. Just given me so it's, it's really hard to even put it into words like it's just the experience of being able to put in my put on my headphones and put in a song that from the first couple of m- notes it takes me completely into a different place right so being able to connect with sound and with music in that way from very early on has always been such a like a feeling of this is where I'm meant to be. I think that's one of the reasons why I spent so much of my youth in the Greek Orthodox Church, even though I'm not Greek. It was through extended family that I um, participated in church. I even I almost baptized Greek Orthodox because it was just so connecting for me. But then I realized later on in my um, in my teenage years, the reason why I was so connected it wasn't because of god or the concept of god or or anything like that it was because of the the vibrations that were created from a group of people coming together to create this awe-inspiring experience and i um i i've listened to previous podcast episodes so um <laughs> just so that i could um almost in a way get to know you a little bit better uh, mm-hmm. especially since we we connected and you had um mentioned you had spoken about like choir music and the things that you've written and that immediately hit home for me because one of my favorite things um was when I was in the choir we went on choir conferences where we would get together with like hundreds of other people and there was this one specific choir conference Like, even now, thinking back to it gives me full body chills because just uh, the experience. We were inside this gorgeous, like, the thing about the Greek Orthodox churches is all of them are built with a dome to a certain standard. So, we were in this beautiful, beautiful Greek Orthodox church. And it was the seating for the choir was in the round around the dome. Mm. And we all get in there for the first time, we're all seated together, hundreds of people. And the choir director gets everyone's attention, we open our books and we start the experience and from the first note, I started crying because the sound that just vibrated through this dome around us was so visceral that it just completely brought me to tears. Um, And being able to participate that and feel the energy of lending my voice to that moment was like nothing I'd ever felt. Um, I have yet to feel that experience again, which I would love to at some point. And so from that moment, it kind of triggered in my brain, I said, no, wait a minute, it's not God that brought me here, it's the sound. It's those wavelengths, it's the vibrations, it's those experiences that brought me here. And that brought me into a lot of um, vocalizations uh, with myself and kind of trying to figure out what that meant for me, especially spiritually. And then I started experiencing very, very extreme uh, stage fright and uh, as well as imposter syndrome. It's always been, imposter syndrome has always been nearly crippling for me. I don't talk about it, um, not even a lot of my friends know, cause I just don't open up about it. But in this past year, especially I've thought that it's been very important that I open up not just about my spirituality, but also about the things that I experience because I know that there are other people who experience the same things that I do. It got to a point where before almost every performance, It was in my head constantly on that hamster wheel of I'm not good enough. I'm a terrible singer. Um, I sound terrible. This isn't good enough. I should just quit. That constant, constant, constant wore me down. It absolutely wore me down for a very long time um, to the point where now I can barely sing in front of other people unless I'm playing a character Uh, because I also I used to perform with the Florida Renaissance Festival as a street character (laughs) it was a lot of fun Um, and the thing about playing that character I played a privy cleaner and this privy cleaner (laughs) character covered in filth Mm. dirty grimy yucky uh, with makeup blacked out some of my teeth like very much a like the grosser the better kind of character and I loved playing her I loved playing that character because once I put that makeup on and once I put the costume on I was her and that was it so I could sing and I could play around and I could goof off and I could do all of these things because it wasn't me Mm -hmm. it was the character right the second I took it off it was done um and so there was a, a bit of time, I want to say between like 2016 and like 2019, where I was very much on a mode of, okay, we need more like more new pagan music. We need more witchcraft music chants because um, the the older chants, they're great, but like we need, we need more of it. We need more voices. We need more into this. And I was very much in a mode of learning as much music as I could at the time and um, then through, especially through the pandemic, I lost a lot of it. I lost a lot of my drive and then my imposter syndrome and my anxiety just came rearing right back tenfold. So now, where has that brought me now when it comes to sound healing and connection to that? It's brought me to a place where I need to work on healing myself so that I can then help other people Uh, And that journey has brought me to, I actually just got my first set of crystal singing bowls. Oh, amazing. So that, oh gosh, I took them, I I opened the package and I took them out of the box and I took one of the mallets and I, as I was setting them up and I just very, very gently, just from the first tap, my whole body relaxed. Mm -hmm. And that was the trigger for me. That was it for me. I was like, okay, this is, I'm going to follow this feeling. Uh, so now I'm going to be combining that, uh, with, uh, cause last year I had been focusing on, uh, learning how to practice Reiki, not to become a Reiki master for me personally. I'm not comfortable with the concept or idea of calling myself a master of anything. It's very, it's very colonizer for me. I'm not here for it. I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> So I just call myself a practitioner. But last year, I focused a lot on Reiki so that I could use the teachings that I learned to then move into the next step of sound healing, first with instruments and then opening up to start using my voice again. Because there was at one point where, especially when I was in my early 20s, where I felt so connected to my own voice and a means of healing to release it out and, you know, sing for the gods, sing for my coven together to bring our voices together. And I'm, I'm really wanting to get back to that because I felt like I lost it for a long time. So it's been a rocky up and down hill thing for me, but right now I'm focusing very much on uh, the singing bowls. I'm going to be getting a few other instruments to really activate those wavelengths to start really Um, creating these, you know, sound bathing experiences, especially with the fact that I work at a crystal store. So that gives me a lot of opportunity to be able to create events, to welcome people in so that I can then, you know, begin to create those spaces.
0: That is so cool and really aligned with stuff that I've been thinking about too. I would love to actually connect with you after this and Um, I would be very interested in any kind of events like that, that you're working on or thinking about, would love to talk more about that. I love that you got samples. I wonder if, do you feel like that loss of your kind of, uh, original connection with your voice or that, um, the way that you felt about it earlier, do you think that that had something and you don't, don't feel like you need to go into anything you don't want to go into, but do you feel like that had something to do with a bodily trauma of some kind, or do you have a sense of where that change happened if it had to do with like an energetic center shifting like that or was it something else
1: it was uh it was actually two instances specifically and it was instances with other people that essentially caused a trauma uh, it was unintentional because sometimes traumas happen um not from someone actively attempting to be abusive in any way sometimes words really do impact someone Um, when I was in high school when I was a freshman in high school I had a chorus teacher I only had this woman for one year thankfully had a chorus teacher who I was taking private lessons with her once a week and during our first ever lesson I only had like three or four lessons with her and then I stopped it was our and this is telling as to why our first ever lesson I was standing in front of the piano and she was we're running scales. And she stopped mid scale. And she looked at me and she said, you know, you can really see your teeth really, really well when you sing. Mm-hmm. Like I've never seen anything like that. You can see your teeth so much when you sing. And that instantly took me aback because I have a very deep insecurity about my teeth especially when I'm talking anything. It's been a huge insecurity for me. We didn't, like, I didn't grow up with the ability to have accessible healthcare. A lot of the time when I was growing up, my parental figure had to decide between feeding us and paying the electric bill for that week. So, like, when it comes to means and being able to have accessible healthcare, it wasn't there for us. I didn't see a dentist until I was like 27 just because I've never had accessible healthcare. And like when you grow up not having access to that healthcare, nine nine times out of 10, you have a fear of that. A lot of people who have been in my situation have a fear of the dentist that they've never been to. They have only ever heard horror stories they make, they make jokes and skits on TV shows about like dental appointments. Right. So the bill is it, exactly, it's scary. So she made this comment, I'm f- freshly 15 years old. And she made that comment. And I almost quit right then and there. But then I kind of sat with myself and I sat with like my energy working. Cause I was practicing a little bit at that point. And I had, uh, I had a pendulum. I didn't have a tarot deck yet. I didn't start with, I actually started using pendulums before I started working with tarot. And I asked my pendulum, I said, should I keep going or should I quit? And the energy that came through my pendulum told me to keep going. So I said, okay, I'm going to trust this and I'm going to keep going. Then when I was about 17, um, I hadn't started working at the Renaissance Festival yet. Obviously I was just in high school, but I I attended um, as a patron and when I was there, I ran into get another music teacher. I ran into my music teacher from middle school. Uh, we got into this whole conversation. I don't remember exactly what we spoke about, but this I will never forget. I told her how I wanted to go to college for music and also for art, because I'm an artist as well. I wanted to go to college for both. I wanted to, you know, go to, at the time, I really wanted to go to Berklee College of Music. Um, I I really, like, this is my dream. It's what I want to do. And she looked at me and she said, look at me. I teach middle school chorus. You should give up. You should think of something else to do because not everybody is going to make it. She didn't use those like words exactly, but she basically told me that I should give up on my dreams and that I shouldn't you know, I shouldn't even try. And now this was the second person who was a teacher of mine who had made a comment that impacted me so deeply. It was from that moment on it kind of started going downhill for me to the point where I auditioned for a scholarship program in college and their comments got so embedded in my head that I bombed the audition terribly it was it was terrible and from that moment on I kind of gave up on music and that voice in my head just kept going but I worked in the theater I started connecting through like acting and through participating in that way and um so it was those kind of formative experiences in my teenage years that kind of truly truly affected me and it wasn't until like uh, until i started in the gardenerian practice honestly where i was able to confront those experiences and say to those people at least in my subconscious within my mind um that they don't hold power over me anymore Um, and I'll do what I want.
0: Yeah. Well, good for you. That's really hard. I, it's so sad that it's actually very common, I think, for a choir director or some kind of music teacher to say something like that to a student. And it's, um, I think it's coming from a place where everybody gets shunted through that same system. So when you're a choir director, I know what your exact life has been for the last 20 years. Like I know what you've been doing. And everybody gets really dejected in that system because it's almost like I've started to think about it like an MLM almost like with the grad school levels of music, Um, because I was a grad assistant for music for years and years. And they had us like teaching all the classes and, um, you know, they want to have you kind of get up to the top so you can then turn around and keep like, keep it's like, it's like an internally reinforcing system. But then what is, how does that apply to the external world? And the way that it should apply is that we all have music, we're all musical, and there's nothing wrong with anybody's music and there's nothing lesser about it, but then instead it becomes all tied up with capitalism. And so it's like, they're not, it's not even about how good you are. It's like, they're not wrong that there's not even really places in the world for you to have some kind of capitalistic music career um, because it's not even about your talent. It's almost often about privilege and also luck and things like that. So, you know, even to have talent, you still have to be like starting off on the right foot in a lot of ways and having a lot of the right connections and like, they're not wrong. And yet that's something that happens so often. I think people get just crushed because they get told just like really horrible thing. And I think part of teach some teachers want to want to think to themselves, like I'll give you this hard advice. And then if you pursue and you, you persevere, I guess, and you keep going through that, that means you really could make it. But that's not how music should ever have been, you know? It should just be ours.
1: Yeah, I very much agree. And a lot of that preconceived notion is that somebody who, especially a young person who like wants to go to college and this, that and the other, it's because they want to get famous. That's Mm -hmm. like a lot of the preconceived notion as well. Like someone wants to like get famous, end up on Broadway, become the next music star when that is such a small, small percentage, right? I never wanted to be famous. I still don't. The concept of fear of fame and celebrity is so like adverse to me as a person. (laughs) Like I never wanted anything to do with that. I still don't (laughs) because it's just, that's a whole, that's a whole different, that's a whole different Avenue, but like, suffice to say, like, there's a lot of that assumption of, okay, you're you're trying this hard you're going to all the competitions you're doing all of these things you must want to be the next big whatever uh that's not going to happen for you and it becomes that matter of like can you participate in the means of production for this set area of musicality no you're never going to
0: participate in it at all Like you're worthless therefore somehow yeah yeah, no, that's, I think that's like such a common and such a relatable thing to go through, unfortunately. And that's just like something I wish I, I wish will change in the world in our lifetime. Oh
1: yeah, for sure. One of the things that I want to develop into the events that I've been planning, um, that I host or will be hosting at the store. I want, and this might sound really niche and really weird, but I want to almost create like a, like a witchcraft or pagan choir of experience i would love love to do that because there's so many of us that just want to connect to music that's not christian-based catholic-based or what have you they just want to connect to music and i'd love to do that
0: i would love to do that with you i'm not even kidding you and it's also why when i was younger a big part of my church experience i I grew up in a non-denominational christian church and kind of similar thing, like I still on Christmases go back to the Lutheran church with my mom and I love to sing. It's not about the church, but I but I understand how the church would hold together community in the time when the church was like the major institution of society, because there's something about that, going and singing with people and just being with people that is so important to people that when that got taken away from being associated with the church it's like we need to replace that with something whether that's some kind of community based thing but um oh i i would love to write music for something like that and just like really explore like like ritual work and really explore just like yeah that experience that you described too of just like standing in a rotunda in a circle and singing and having that vibration just i've had that experience too and it's life-changing it's it's completely ascensional otherworldly yeah um, so that's amazing right have to talk after this but um but yeah um I guess I also wanted to ask about some of your projects that you've been working on and that you're maybe going to be working on um so I know that you are involved in something called eclectic grove and also fox and toad magazine you're a writer for that I'm yes about those projects.
1: so the eclectic grove that I'm building. I have affectionately affectionately named it uh, Sacred Dragonfly. It's just a name that I gave it. It doesn't, it, it doesn't, it's not for anything. It's not from anything. It's just, I love dragonflies as well as I love moths, which is um, where I chose my name. The Atticus Atlas Moth is what mm-hmm. I named myself after. Um, so the grove itself is going to be a eclectic, um, teaching group experience. Uh, Since I work at a store called Lotus Crystal Shop located in Hummelstown, PA, uh, I've been developing the events calendar for the year. And I knew that a workshop experience was one of the things I wanted to build in because there's such a need for it in this locale. There's such a need for like, there's so many people that are, they're just, they're seeking additional information. One of the biggest, biggest conversations that I get into with people who come into the shop, is they're just starting out. They're not really sure how to find information, or they're so overwhelmed by the plethora of information that's online that they don't know how to wade through it. So the purpose of the Eclectic Grove, the Sacred Dragonfly, is specifically a space where uh I can hold workshops, um uh simple and prompting ones, uh, where people can ask questions, where we can have conversations, and I can, you know, be able to express a lot of the things that I've learned, a lot of the information that I've found <clears throat> in regards to wading through the amount of information. Um, the amounts of, and this is no hate to Lee well in publishing whatsoever. I found some beautiful books that were very formative for me but we're getting to a point now where in my opinion there's like two schools of like books that are coming out there are the new information you know based off of like personal experience that's got really informative information that might have some things about decolonization and really addressing really important topics and then you have the carby copy carbon copy uh, copy and pasted it's the same exact book with the same exact information that's been published for over 20 years so and the second group is a lot bigger than the first and not a lot of people realize how to wade through that information, not to mention like fact checking a lot of the information that's being provided, especially on social media and on TikTok, because while a lot of witch talk is beautiful. And I've seen some beautiful aesthetic videos and everything like that. There's also the toxic side, which I know that you've experienced. And I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <Not bad. laughs> um, there's the toxic side, right? And then there's a whole nother side of it as well is understanding the spirituality to cult pipeline and how anybody is su- susceptible mm-hmm. to getting dragged into a cult. Yeah. So the the purpose of the Eclectic Grove is really going to be a place for people to be able to ask questions so that I can provide information uh, and maybe help guide some people. That's really, that's the only purpose for it. Again, I, I don't, I don't want to be a cult leader. I don't want to, I don't want any of it. I'm not charging for it. I even told my boss, I don't even want him to pay me my hourly for that because I have superstition about accepting money for spiritual teaching.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, specifically in the Gardnerian practice and in a lot of other British traditional practices, um, it is highly frowned upon to charge for teaching the craft. Um, Now, there's a lot of arguments about it. There's some that say, well, you shouldn't charge charge to teach Gardnerian. And then there are others that say you shouldn't charge to teach the craft, period. There's a lot of every everybody's got their toes in the water when it comes to you know how they feel about it for me personally just me the messages that I received from the deities that I work with not just garden Area, but also in my personal life is the wealth will come to me as is it, as it's meant to come to me and that's where it'll come so I don't I'm very superstitious, I don't like charging, I don't like charging for it. You know, there's a, there's a saying, especially uh, across Gardenarian that money shall never change hands. It's a big thing. So everybody else is different. They can do what they like. Well, like I do, I'll do tarot readings. I do charge for a tarot reading, but I'm not teaching anybody anything. It's 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 a set, exactly. It's a service, I'm providing a service, right? Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the eclectic grove, I don't accept money for it. The store itself, Lotus Crystal Shop, does accept donations, which will allow, it goes directly into the funding of future events and everything like that. But that's pretty much that. And then Fox and Toad. So Fox and Toad, I'm very excited for. It is a brand new publication. A friend of mine came to me, actually that I met through the store. They came into the store and we connected very deeply. We became friends. And then I think I want to say in like November, they came to me and said, hey, crazy question just to throw this out there, would you be interested in writing articles for a magazine that I'd like to, that I'm trying to publish? I said, yeah, bet. I'm down. That'd be great. So um, I wrote a article on simmer pots and how to make a simmer, simmer pot and di- with different like ideas for doing simmer pots for the the moon phases versus doing one for like the Sabbaths if you celebrate. Uh, so it I did an article on that. And then they added me to uh, the the communication server. And it's now basically four of us, it's evolved into, there are four of us, there's Fox and Toad who are the originators. And then there's myself who I am, I'm Crow uh, for, the, for the magazine. And then we have another Bear. Uh, so it's the four of us, Fox, Toad, Crow and Bear um (laughs) I likened us to the four cozy writers of the apocalypse (laughs) basically um so it's a it's a seasonal magazine that focuses predominantly on Pennsylvania specifically Pennsylvania and then regionally maybe as far as like the Appalachians and collectively in this general area which there isn't really much of like you don't see regional metaphysical witchcraft pagan information it's very either like east coast southwest it's a lot of that which i'm not detracting from any of that but we uh, especially um especially fox saw a need for this kind of publication for this area so we just published uh the first edition which is our winter wonderland for oh hello kitty
0: there's buddy
1: <laughs> oh he's oh, got all oh, those colorations gorgeous
0: oh, tabby <laughs> he's like black but then white underneath so
1: he's, oh, <laughs> he's gorgeous I love him um so yeah we just published winter wonderland uh which we only have a couple physical copies left but we do have the digital copies available on the etsy and we're getting ready to launch the spring edition which i believe is going to be uh, the title of spring into bloom uh and i'm very excited for that edition because my article for the spring edition is about uh gender essentialism in the craft where i talk about my experiences Uh, And then I also, I write a book review for each edition as well. And it's just, it's a lot of like-minded individuals but with very different perspectives coming together to uh, create this like beautiful publication. Um, And we do accept uh, submissions as well, which I'm just, I'm just very thankful. I'm very excited. And it's so much, it's been so much fun you know, just to be able to participate in this kind of a project has been, it's been very humbling. I always try to stay humble and, you know, remember that while ego is a part of us to remember the balance of that as well. So
0: those sound like such cool projects that I definitely don't want to encroach on you, but want to be way more like uh looking at and involved in they sound amazing I'm so happy you're doing that kind of work like regionally too I think that's right and I've loved some of those Facebook groups too just because it's so nice to know that there's people that are like-minded yeah and I would like to start like COVID made things so hard to connect in person but I would love to start doing that kind of thing again and I don't know if you're ever um I don't know if you ever would make your way into Philly but I have space that that I can like host events and stuff here just oh
1: yeah Oh yeah, no, definitely would love it. There's a couple of things that we, in the far future when it comes to Fox and Toad, um, we wanna get to a point where we do like road trips around Pennsylvania and we actually go to locations and we stay in locations. Uh, as an example, uh, I also do a lot of fiber craft. So I work a lot with fiber, I crochet. Yeah. Uh, I And I'm very deep into like fiber, but I collectively, I would like to have my hands in the process from start to finish, like from the sheep all the way through to the finished project. So um, one thing that Fox even brought up to me was the idea of actually going with permission, ensuring like we communicate, obviously, this would be for a magazine, Um, actually going to a farm that specializes in fiber specifically for fiber art. Okay. and actually like participating in the process from start to finish yeah. um as a mean like f- for the magazine to be able to write about it the other thing that I'm doing is I applied for a local um plot in the community garden so that uh Fox and Toad actually is going to have a community garden spot so that we can collectively have it as a means of you know participating in the community while also making sure that we are highlighting these available um means of connection for the magazine as well so absolutely if it gets to a point where we're we're ready to do like road trips we would I personally and I know Fox as well would love to connect and um you know really uh (laughs) go in different places I think that would be awesome. Yeah, that's, and something me, that's for me too. Like I am still exploring Pennsylvania. There's still a lot of places that I want to go, a lot of places that I'd love to experience, so that'd be
0: great. Wow. Well, I'm just like totally energized by that idea, so I really would love to keep uh being connected about that. That's amazing. I could I could put you up if you want <laughs> to come to Philly. And then the fiber <laughs> arts thing that you brought up too. I just um we should probably I, I won't keep you too long after the hour, but um I I also think there's so much magic in like the the spinning arts and fiber arts. And then that also ties into like gender and like ideas about spinstresses and, you know, witches and things. And so I love that you're, that's something that could be like a whole other hour of a conversation, but um, I guess, how did you get into like, how did you get into fiber arts? How did that become interesting? COVID. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) Um,
1: that's, that's the short, that's the short and long of it, but really I had wanted to, uh, I attempted to try to teach myself how to knit, uh, when I was, I want to say like 12 or 13, but it's awkward for me because I'm left-handed and nearly all of the instructional information provided is for right-handed people. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, and also it's that ADHD, that neurodivergent experience of if I'm not perfect at it, to start, I don't wanna do it kind of thing. Uh, so I started and stopped with uh, knitting and then crochet um, pretty early on. But then in uh, when the pandemic hit, I, uh, I was working for a company in person in customer service and they completely revamped everything to make sure that they could send us home so we could work from home um, through the pandemic. So uh, I was very, very fortunate. I will always be thankful. I would still be at that job if I hadn't moved up to PA just because that specific situation was Florida based. But while I was home so much, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna fill my time with creative things so that I'm not just on a screen so much so that I can give my eyes a break, so that I can give my body a break, my nervous system a break. Um, So I started with big, huge, chunky yarn and I started finger crocheting with my fingers. And from there I was able to scale it down with hooks and then scale it down again. Um, And then uh, with YouTube videos too, I was able to teach myself how to crochet by like literally mirroring the things that I was was watching to the point where I can't even watch left-handed crocheters now because it confuses me <laughs> just because of the way,
0: so the
1: way that I learned. So now, uh, with crochet, it's been, it's so meditative for me that I can just, it takes me into such a place where I relax my energy. Cause I have, uh, I have generalized anxiety disorder on a lot of, on top of a lot of other things. And, um, I am, I, especially over the past couple of years, I've been seeking means to um, help to re regulate my nervous system because of the fact that I've lived in such a constant state of fight or flight. Um, I was, I started have, especially after the first time I had COVID, which was terrifying. Um, I started having these uh, blackout episodes where I thought it was POTS. I've been tested left, right, and center. It's not POTS. And then I started to realize this is my anxiety disorders piggybacking off of my nervous system that's dysregulated, that's triggering me into such deep panic attacks that it's causing me to start blacking out and it's messing with my heart rate and everything. So through the crochet and then in now into the fiber arts, I've been able to start the process of regulating my nervous system. Um, And then now I'm actually gonna do my next um, set of shadow work journeys because that's the thing about shadow work. It never actually ends. You're always at some point in your life where there may come a time where you might be ready to do shadow work again. So now I'm going to be getting into the shadow work process. I'm going to be doing what's called the journey of the fool, which I've done before as well. That was so helpful. Um, And through the fiber arts, I've really been able to regulate my breathing, calm down my energy, start with my mantras, and to um, really work through a lot of my anxiety. In fact, I actually just set my loom. I will show it to you so you can see. I just set my loom again because I'm going to be making a project for my mom. Are those purples and greens? Purples and greens uh, with some black interspersed. Um, but yeah, it's so relieving. <laughs> uh, and then also too, I just started, not very good at it, but that's okay. I just started uh, learning how to drop spin with okay. a drop spindle. What so you, you take a hank of uh basically unmade yarn. So it's a bunch of fiber. And there is, I don't have it next to me, I would show you. Um, It looks like almost like, you know, a top that you spin, mm-hmm. almost like a drape, like a top, but it's like really, really long with a very elongated like center pole. And you it's got a hook at the end. And so you take the yarn and you kind of like twist it and feed it around and then you spin the, uh, you spin it. And then as you spin it and you're controlling the spin, you also control and pull the fibers in and that pulls it into the spin so that you can make Hmm. yarn. And that is, that is very interesting as well when it comes to like actually putting magic into what you're making because not only are you controlling physically you're controlling energetically as well with like the rotation as well as your energy and the purpose and it's 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 great i love it
0: (laughs) yeah that's amazing thank you for telling me about that i i uh I know there's so much magic in that, and I don't have like the setup, but I can imagine at some point in my life getting really into this, the this, this spinning arts, because there's something very, very magical and meditative yeah. about it. Once you start, you will not stop. So <laughs> I'm just letting you <laughs> know, be like a whole <laughs> endeavor. Yeah, amazing. Well, very cool. I think um, this is probably a good place to call. But I, I hope we'll stay in touch. I think this is you're a beautiful human. I think this is going to be really. relatable and interesting conversation for a lot of listeners and I just appreciate you so much for giving me some time today um and happy new moon by the way and a new moon in Aquarius tonight
1: yes new moon in Aquarius thank you for having me
0: I I
1: got your message it was not on my 2024 bingo card (laughs) (laughs) um but definitely uh I would love to keep connected I want to pick your brain on musical things um definitely I, I i Uh, maybe there could be some collective projects for us in the future. So I'd love that, but thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you. Thank you.
0: I feel very excited about that. And um, I would, I would love to talk soon. So yeah, thank you, Atticus. Absolutely.